Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is from the WhatsApp Arling Palipunan Rebooted Podcast. If you like what you hear, follow WhatsApp on your podcast app for more weird and wonderful stories from Philippine history. Proclamation 1081, Martial Law Ferdinand Marcos Sr. had been president of the Philippines since 1965, and well into his second term, the country was in a state of unrest. We were facing food shortages government overspending, and a weakening peso, among other crises. Martial law was declared in September 1972, supposedly to address these social and economic troubles. And all around the country, checkpoints went up, curfews snapped into place, the country was ruled with an iron fist. We often hear about the broad strokes of what happened, but what about the smaller stories? What about the names, faces, and struggles beyond major events such as the First Quarter Storm, the Plaza Miranda bombing, and the 1986 People Power Revolution. What about the everyday experiences of people who lived through martial law? Today, you're going to hear voices of regular people who survived human rights violations during this period. People who might not have been at the front lines of the opposition, who did not become martyrs, but whose stories are just as real and important as those you might have already read about in history books. We're getting out of the way of the people who were actually there, because their stories are too precious to lose. We hope that their experiences will move you as much as they moved us. Welcome to WhatsApp, Araling Panlipunan Rebooted, the podcast that looks at Philippine history with fresh eyes. I'm Siege Tantenko, reporter and history nerd. And I'm Sab Schnabel, a historian and a comedian who has worked for Carlos Saldran, the National Museum of the Philippines, and the Guggenheim in Venice. We want to warn you that this episode is a little more serious and a little more violent than our usual fare. This story is important to tell, but it may be upsetting to listen to. But before we get into the thick of it, let's immerse ourselves in the world of the 1970s with Pearl of the Orientation. The popular picture of the 70s was a time of disco and fun, wild prints and dance parties, but... In truth, it was a tumultuous decade with a lot of upheaval and change. 1970 was a turbulent time for this part of the world. This was the time of the Vietnam conflict, and the U.S. was also engaged in the Cold War, facing off against Russia in a kind of Western standoff. You can hear more about the Cold War in a previous episode of What's Up, Kagitingan in Korea. In the Philippines, Marcos had just won his second term in the 1969 elections. But the government's overspending on infrastructure projects to fuel his campaign immediately led to great social unrest. So, martial law was announced in 1972. But what did martial law mean? Martial law means that the military would be taking over the running of the country. It's a state of emergency where the central authority can take on more powers and suspend the enforcement of some of our rights in the name of order. The writ of habeas corpus was suspended the year prior, 
which meant that people could be imprisoned without first being brought to court. The Philippine Constabulary could easily capture those who were suspected of taking part in rebellion or sedition. Congress, a representative branch, was dissolved and power was consolidated. All new laws, decisions, and directives were coming from the executive branch, i.e. the Marcos regime. For more than eight years, martial law would remain in place and protect the powers of those at the top of the government and their closest circles. During this time, the Marcos family and their cronies amassed billions in ill-gotten wealth, and thousands of Filipinos were killed, tortured, or jailed by state forces. This changed the trajectory of the country forever. The first voice you'll hear is that of Nilda Fulion, a retired school teacher. Nilda was the first of a group of martial law survivors to approach us when we reached out. Ako si Nilda Jocada Fulion, isang dating guro, pero bago ako naging guro, naging political detainee. So, ngayon, presently I'm married, tatlong anak ko, may mga teacher din. Okay, uh, high school ako. Yung exact moment na dineclare martial law, I just clearly nasa isip ko pa yun. So, yeah, parang kahapon lang na nangyayari yun. Sa Sampalok area kami nakatira, naglilipat kami ng bahay. So, nandun na kami sa kabilang bahay, so, nasa ibang street na kami, nandun na yung mga ilang gamit namin. And I was standing in the middle of the street. And then, all of a sudden, alas 12 ng hating gabi yun, parang ang tahit-tahimik, biglang tumahimik yung paligid ko. Usually, at that time, parang ang ingay-ingay pa ng kalsada. Sampalok area is napaka-highly populated area yan. So, mga sasakyan dyan, mga tao, so kahit na gano'ng oras ng gabi. Pero for that particular moment, parang, ay, biglang tahimik. So, maya-maya, lumabas ang mother ko sa gate. Sabi niya, hoy, pumasok na. Bakit? Sabi niya, Marshallo na. Sabi niya ganyan. Ano yung Marshallo, mama? Sabi, basta pumasok ka kasi curfew na. Sabi niya ganyan. Baka may dumaan dyan, pulihin ka. So, at that exact moment, Marshallo. So, una ako narinig yun, sabi ko, Marshallo. Tapos, naisip ko rin, parang, Ah, okay, this is a history to, history in the making to, kasi natatandaan ko kailan, anong oras siya diniklear. Tapos nung tinawag na ako ng mama ko, sabi niya, wala tayong, ano, wala tayong mapakinggan na radio station except yung government-owned na station. Sabi niya, yun lang yung bukas. Ano po yung pagkakaintindi niyo nung panahon yun sa dahilan kung bakit nagkaroon ng martial alam mo na, teenager, wala ka naman ako iniisip na may pekto ba sa akin yan, yung gano'n. Naramdaman ko yung martial law is nung, yung isa, tinanggal nila yung palabas sa TV, yung Voltes 5, cartoons. Nung high school ako, favorite namin yung tuwing hapon, papanoorin namin yun. So, bigla nagsara yun. So, bigla, masama itong martial law. So, Tapos sumunod, ano sa akin? Ah, uh, yung kapatid ko kasi, higher year sa akin, two years senior. Nag-graduate siya, naka-uniform lang sila, kasi daw martial law, sabi ng kapatid ko. Martial law, austerity daw, pagtitipid, sabi. Sabi ko, hmm, nakakainis na to, martial law na to, ah. bakit ganito na ang pati ba naman buhay namin sa high school, papakailaman pa. 
eto na yung final. Nagkaroon kami ng party sa school. It was supposed to be. Hindi ko alam kung grad. Pero is graduating na ako noon, first year. Bawal ang seniors and juniors from. Yung henerasyon namin, hindi kami nakaranas ng junior-seniors from. Kaya pag nadidinig ko yun, sabi ko, maliit na bagay, pero parang inaabangan mo yun eh, pag uh, high school ka. Eh binawal. Sabi ko, nakakabwisit na talaga itong martial law. At the time, Nilda's grievances about the regime didn't extend much further than her high school prom. That was until she was in university, when one fateful day, everything changed. So, maraming rally-rally na malaman ng magulang ko. Siyempre, takot sila na mapasama ako at maging aktivista. So, nilipat ako nila na school. Kasi BetMed ang course ko. At the time, wala din naman sa UP yung BetMed pa noon. So, ayun, may mga ganong boycott. Pero hindi ako sumasama kasi takot ako eh. Takot ako sa tatay ka, baka pag umuwi, kailangan umuwi ka na kaagad. Alam niya yung oras ng uwi mo. Pag ginabi ka pa, nako, 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 delikado ka na sa masermonan ka. So ako, ganun, uh, makikinig ako pag nandun sa school, ganyan, so, kwento nila. Karang hindi ako timista. So, ganun lang ang schedule ko. Hanggang sa minsan, umuwi ako na paggabi kasi traffic, etc. Mag, ano kami, laboratory classes, nag-extend pa, nag-review pa. Anyway, pag-uwi ko, naglalakad na ako sa Palok area to. Okay, hindi umuusa doon mga jeep. So, two blocks away na lang ang bahay namin. So, bumaba na ako ng jeep, naglakad ako. Ano naglalakad ako? Tataka, bakit parang may kaguluan sa paligid? Hindi ko pinapansin. Hindi naman ako, I mean, ano ba ito meron? Bakit parang ang daming tao naglalakad, whatever, basta lakad lang ako, maya-maya, bigla na lang may humawak sa left and right na braso ko. Yung kawak talagang mahigpit ang kapit, ganyan. Hindi ako, siya ako, sabi ko, bakit? Hindi, wala akong ginagawa. Tapos binuhat na nila ako kasi ayaw kong dumakad eh. Anong nangyayari? Sabi ko ganyan. At saan, hindi sila umingi. Bakit ako? Bakit? Sabi ko, dyan lang kami nakatira. Anay nyo ako. Dyan ang mama ko. Sabi ko ngayon, dyan malapit ang bahay namin kaya ako naglalakad. Kasi traffic, hindi umuusad yung sasakyan. Hindi, estudyante ka eh. First time na dinig ko dun sa mamang sumunggab sa akin. Hindi, estudyante ka. Estudyante to kasama to sa rally. Rally? Sabi ko ganyan. Sa eskwelahan, merong rally pero hindi ko alam na sa labas ng school. May mga ganun. Rally. Sabi ko, hindi, wala. And sabi ko, naglalakad lang ako pa uwi. Sabi ko, hindi, kasama ka sa rally. Sabi ko, ganyan. Sabi, binitbit na ako. Tapos may sasakyan na white band. Tapos, hinihagis na ako sa loob. Tapos sabi ko, kinidnap ako, kinidnap ako. Sabi ko, ganyan. Sabi ko, mama ko, dyan lang. Sabi ko, ganyan. Huwag Sabi ko, ganyan sa akin, polis. Kami, hindi ko alam na polis pa sila. Kasi alam ko, mga kidnappers. Tapos, eh, Nung hinagis nila ako sa loob ng sasakyan, may iba pang mga tao doon sa loob. Tapos mukhang mga estudyante. Sabi, ayan, isa pang estudyante, rallyista, aktivista. Sabi, hindi ako makaimik. Kaya mo yung shock, yung nasa ito yung kinidnap ako, ipaparansom ako, yung mga ganong. Nilda was taken na, to a secret location, all the while thinking, patayin kaya ako dito? Ano kayo? Makita ka pa kaya ang magulang ko? May bumabato sa akin namin. Hindi ko alam kung sino yung bumabato. So, yuko kayo, yuko. Hindi yuko naman kami. 
Walang titingin sa bintana, sabi nga yun. Pero mabilis ang takbo ng sakit. Sabi ko, Diyos ko, sino kaya? Ito, walang pera magulang ko. Walang magbabahid ng ransom ko. Ang isip, makarepin ako. Hanggang sa finally, nung tumigil yung sasakyan, may nag-iiyakan eh. Sa ko lang na-realize, na police pala yung mga kumuha sa amin. Mga naka-plain clothes kasi sila. Walang nakalagay na marka, or ano, or rango, whatever. So, nung tumigil yung sasakyan, nabasa ko, nakalagay, Western Police District. Sabi ko, uy, police. But at that time, ang tawag sa kanila mga metrocom. So, sabi ko, sus, police, bakit? Bakit to? Ano bang ginawa namin krimen? Bakit nyo kami dinil dito? Naglalakad lang ako pa uwi. Ano bang ginawa ko? Hindi, aktivista ka. Estudyante ka, aktivista. Wala nang ano. So, yun. Uh, Investiga na kami. Binawa lang. Walang mag-uusap. Sinabi nga kami ganyan. Tapos, uh, siguro mga sampo. Hindi ko na maano. Pero kasi madilim ang van. Eh. So, walang ilaw yung loob ng van. Tapos, bawal mag-uusap. Tinisigawan ko. Huwag kayo mag-uusap. So, siguro, ano na lang yung binaba na lang nila kami doon sa police, Western Police District. Sa ko lang nakita yung dami namin nandun sa sakit. Lahat nga puro kami estudyante. Ah, siyempre nagalit din ako. Kasi unang-una, nagagalit ako. Unang pa lang, hindi ako aktivista, bet niyo ako kinulong. Hindi lang naman kasi simpleng kinulong ako. Tinorture ako, hinaras ako, hinubaran ako. Pinarada ako sa harapan ng mga military man yan. Hubot hubad. Bakit? Kasi sabi nila, meron daw marka ang mga aktivista. Meron daw tato sa hita o sa pigiyatan, gano'n. So pati yung panty ko pinababayan. At the time, virgin pa ako, wala. Ako, umiiyak na lang ako. So parang worse na ang iniisip ko, eh, sabi ko. Ignobara nila ako, mga military, ano yung nasa harap ko. This abuse never went as far as Nilda justifiably feared it would. But all the same, it was sexual assault. And this was why, before her arrest, Nilda had been a normal student. But now, well... Actually, nag-i-aktivista ako sa loob ng kulong, hindi sa labas. Nilda was released from jail in December 1977. From then on, Nilda became a lifelong activist. She insists that Marcos was the best recruiter for the resistance. She's still working towards bringing the truth of martial law to light. Ano yan? Marcos ngayon, susunod, Duterte ulit, Marcos ulit. Diyos ko, sana pupulutin ang bayan natin. Sabi ko, nangana ko, mama, sinyo, pahinga ka na. Sabi ko, hindi ako magpapahinga hanggat ang bayan natin ay ganito. Tuloy ang laban. Ma'am, nabanggit nyo nga po na pagkatapos nyo makulong, meron po kayong trust issues sa gobyerno, sa mga kapulisan. Ano po yung mga pagbabago po sa yung mga habits ninyo? Halimbawa po, uh, simula po nang madite na kayo, maaari bang ayaw nyo nang maglakad ng mag-isa? Lumalayo kayo pag may pulis? Ayaw ka ng mga madidilim na kalsada. Kinikilabutan ako pag dumadaan ako sa tapat ng Campo Aguinaldo. And then, kahit doon sa, minsan, dinalaw namin si Senator Delina. Alam mo, yung kaluluwa ko, parang ayaw niyang pumasok. Ay, yung physical kong katawan, ayaw pumasok sa gate. <laughs> yung paharamdam na gano'n na, 
para kong mula talampakan ko, kinikilit ako hanggang sa ano ng ulo ko, kinikilabutan ako na yung fear ko lagi, paano mo mayan, hindi na ako makalabas dyan. Hanggang ngayon, mga uniform police, ayaw kong tatabi dyan. I've been through what I've been through. Mga ganang issue, tapos madali ako, may anxiety ako. Lalo na, mga anak ko, di pa, umalis ng gabi, di pa nagkukotar. Uh, teka, teka, baka yung mga ganon, yung mabilis mong maisip yon Nagkaroon ako ng opportunity pumunta sa ibang bansa. Uh, when I was working with an NGO, three months ako sa Europe, Norway, Sweden, Belgium, sabi ng tatay ko bago ako malis. Huwag ka nang bumalik. <laughs> Pag TNT na daw ako doon, sabi ng tatay ko. Kasi, oh, naranasan niya, eh, nar- nakita niya yung inabot yung experience, nakulong, etera, nag-organize, hindi eh, nakaka-uwi, ganyan. laging gutom. <laughs> Pero sino ako doon? Sana ako may makukontribute dito lang sa bayan natin. Tsaka mga future-future, mga apo ko na rin sa susunod. Ayaw kong abutan nila yung ganito ulit yung sitwasyon na, na mas malala pa. Na parang sa akin habang buhay pa ako, sige, magkukontribute ako sa mas ikabubuti ng bayan natin. Numatag, gano'n man yung katagal. Basta nandyan. Nandito pa ako. I will do. I will fight for this. Ito lang bansa ako. Wala nang iba. The next voice you'll hear is Jovito Labajo. He's from the same group of martial law survivors that Nilda is a part of. But Jovito became more actively involved in pushing back against the Marcos regime as the country's condition worsened in the late 1970s. Ang buong pangalan ko ay Jovito Campusano Labajo. Nadampot ako noong October 26, 1980. Ngayon, ano na ako? 64 na ako. So, nung 1980, nung madampot ako, 22 years old ako noon. Sir, naalala nyo pa po ba yung araw na idineklara yung martial law? 1972, second year high school ako noon. So, walang kamalay-malay kasi nung panahon na yon Nasa St. Mary's ako, sa may kawayan Bulacan. Normal na kabataan. Pero nung ibagsak yung bata sa militar, talagang walang TV, walang radyo. Tapos parang yung, kumbaga yung pakiramdam ng mga tao, parang ano nangyari. Tapos yun nga yung nagdeklara ng araw ng Marcelo. So, yung takot kaagad, ano, yung, yung pag-aalala ng mga... Yung pamilya namin, yung magulang, yung magulang ko noon, parang kami, ordinaryo lang naman kaming pamilya noon. Nagkatrabaho sa isang auto shop si tatay noon, housewife lang ang nanay ko. Kaya kami, hindi muna kami naglalabas ng bahay ng mga maging yung the following day na pagkatapos ng declaration. Una talaga, natakot kami. Natakot ang mga nanay. Ang tatay ko, wala masyado yan. Nagtatrabaho lang yan. Iniisip niya lang, naku. Biglang walang araw ng pasok, di, walang kita, <laughs> di ba, sa talyer. So, ang nanay ko ang medyo parang na nababagabag doon, kaya ang pin- pinakapayo niya sa amin. Huwag lang muna maglalabas, makirandam, kasi ang alam ng nanay ko, gumagala na ang mga militar. Baga parang under police control na yung 
bansa parang ganon. Seventy four nagraduate ako ng high school. Nakapag-aral ako ng dalawang taon sa Mapua na Mining Engineering, yung general course. Saka Mapua kasi parang technical schooling, unlike yung UP, full highly politicized. Sa Mapua, talagang apolitical ang mga estudyante ron. Talagang puro pangarap kung paano makabiyahe sa labas ng bansa. Yung sa overseas ang iniisip ko nun. Kasi yun ang ticket to para makaalis sa kahirapan. Ano? 73 dapat tapos na yung second term ni Marcos. So, 1972, minanufacture nila yung mga dahilan yan sa communist movement at uh, para sa peace and order. Na-extend yung kanyang uh, administration. 1978, napilitan siya magtawag ng IBP election, yung uh, interim batasang pambansa. Pero in between 1972 to 1978, wala akong masyadong political involvement. In fact, noong 1976 nga, dahil sa kahirapan, natigil na ako sa pag-aaral. 1978, nakapasok ako sa Don Bosco Technical School sa Barrio Magsaysay, Tondo, Manila. Naaya lang ako mag-operasyon bantay balota, parang nagahanap ako ng makabuluhang <laughs> gagawin kaysa yung nagtit mula sa isang kolehiyo napunta sa isang masinsyap na kurso, tapos biglang may pagkakataon na first-time voter ako. Dahil non-partisan kami, so hindi kami direktang kampanyador ni nila Ninoy. No? Si Ninoy kasi yung may, mayroon kasing laban slate. Eh, di ba? Uh, alam ko, dosi sila noon. Karaniwan doon, mga politiko. On top, si Ninoy. Sumali si Ninoy kahit nakakulong. Siyempre, silently, nandun yung Ewan ko ba, ba't gano'n ang pakiramdam ko? Mas gusto ko si yung oposisyon. Kasi nga, parang nakakaramdam pa na ng, teka, parang hindi na rin masyadong masaya itong Marcelo na to, ah. Parang puro, nakakaramdam ka na basta militar abusado. Na ang kilos mo, pigil. Naging coordinator ako ng Kaloocan Public School. Ako ang isang parang coordinator na may mga watchers kami, may mga volunteers kami. Nagbantay din kami. Yung lumang estilo ng eleksyon, yung may tally board. Nagbilang kami talaga. Ako mismo may karanasan ako sa loob ng presinto. Ang masama nito, pagdating, kumakagat na yung gabi, dumating yung mga militar. Nagawa sila ng tent doon sa loob ng campus. Tapos, agang ang daming militar. Pinatawag kaming lahat ng mga oposisyon. Hindi, yung mga hindi KBL na watcher, hiniwalay. KBL is Kilusang Bagong Lipunan, Marcus's political party which had just been formed two months prior to the elections. Kaming mga non-partisan sa kayong mga oposisyon, kinuhalat ang papel sa amin, nakatutok yung Armalite, pinagkukuha ang papel, pinauwi na kami. Talagang hindi ako mapakalina kasi mga NGO na suportado ng mga heswita yung nag-organize OBD, yung operasyon kay Balota. So dumating sila na rumisponde kasi alarmado na nga, hindi lang nangyari sa Kaloocan, pati sa ibang Metro Manila pala. Di finally, nung may lumapit sa amin, dumating pa, hindi ko matandaan yung pangalan ng pare. Talagang hindi ko napigil yung sarili ko, sinisigawan ko yung mga sundalo habang nakasakay kami sa kotse nung tinatakbo na ako. Alis na tayo, alis na tayo, delikado. 
Sarap ba sa ano? Parang walang niya kayo. <laughs> parang parang uh, dinaya, dadayain nyo, dadayain nyo. Kasi nga parang na, nasaktan ako eh. First time akong buboto. Tapos noon ako nakakita talaga, tinutukan ako talaga ng armalay. Pinagkukuhasan para kami mga batang paslit na pinagkukuha yung mga papel. Tapos tumahimi kayo, muwi na kayo. Noong gabi pa lang yun, talagang nagre-rebel din ang kalooban ko. Talagang ano ako, syak-syak pero mas galit eh. Nakaramdam ako ng galit nun. Kinabukasan, eto na, straight wipe out ang opposition. Si Imelda on top na nanalo. Eh alam namin ang resulta ng kalookan eh. Kahit nakalahati man lang pumasok doon, si Ninoy panalo. Lalo akong nagalit. Parang, parang panloloko na yun ha. Parang ganito ba talaga yung demokrasya? <laughs> Doon ako nagsisimula ng mga salitang demokrasya, yung electoral process. So, lahat yun biglang dumating sa akin sa edad na 20 years old ako noon eh, nung bumoto ako noong 1978. Tapos yun, patuloy na yun, nag, may mga retreat kami, may mga, may mga reflections na ginawa hanggang sa lumalim na ako sa kilosang lihim. Yung anti-Marcelo na organization. Turning point yung 1970. Jovito's political awakening was coming face to face with the military's abuse of power, which was emboldened by martial law. And what he saw led him to the resistance. Noong 1980 kasi, dahil nag-urban insurrection na nga kami, ang tawag namin doon bilang Kristiano, yung legitimate use of force, hindi armed struggle. Kasi pagka CPPNP, armed struggle yung kategorya nila. Pero kami, nag-urban insurrection kami, kakaiba doon sa kaliwa. Ano? Uh, kasi iba yung community organizing lang na nag-agitate ka. Kami, mas umabot kami, nainip kami, umabot kami doon sa parang opensiba. Na, na, na pag, ang allegation sa amin, yung kami yung nag-bombing noong 1980 sa mga hotel, sa mga government installation. At yung pinakahuling medyo galit na galit si Marcos sa amin, yung ASTA Conference, yung American Society of Travel Agencies, na si Doris Nubal, numahuli yun, ako. Ako rin yung gumawa ng bomba, si Doris Nubal yung nagpasok ng bomba sa ASTA. Na-miss lang yung speech ni Marcos eh, pero pagkatapos ng speech ni Marcos, nang pinapalabas na yung World War II, na nagbobombahan, biglang may pumutok sa likod. Pumilipad na yung mga silya, nagtakbuhan, nagpanik. Galit na galit si Marcos. Ayun, nag, uh, naglabas yan ng pera para ha, ha, hanapin kami. Hanggang sa nahulin nga rin kami. Ganito, noong 1979 kasi, may nahuling light a fire movement. Mga halos parang kagrupo din namin yun. Ito, yung ilan dyan, mga... Pero paggawa ng simpleng apoy na sunog yung iba't ibang sama rin yata yung Comelec sa yung Sulu Hotel dito sa Quezon City. Pero yon symbolic na spark ang kailangan. Light a fire, kumbaga kung magsindi, parang Sulu, uh, lalagablab yan, lalaki. Kami, noong 1980, symbolic bombing yung ginawa namin. Symbolic bombings. These were bombings meant not to hurt people, but rather to get attention. They were carefully planned and strategically located. 
the opposition had gotten to a point where they needed not just the president, but the rest of the world and international media to pay attention to what was happening in the Philippines. But these symbolic bombings were nonetheless deemed threats to public safety, on top of being a message challenging the president's power. Nakapag-aral uli ako sa TIP, yung early 1980. Pero dahil nasa underground movement na nga kami, nasa may safe house ako sa Cubao. Actually, merong kaming kasamahan na huli na kumatok. Hindi ko inaasahan. Pero pagpasok niya, naramdam ako, yun na yun. <laughs> huli na kami. Naramdam ako na kasi nanginginig siya eh, yung abnormal. Sa pinto, tinutukan na ako. Marami na nakatutok na, na baril. Hindi na ako lumapan. Ang nangyari, in-interrogate muna ako dun sa kwarto. Inag-inventory ng mga gamit na nakuha sa akin. Kasi may mga armas din na nakuha sa akin. Maraming mga dokumento. Nung gabing yon dire-diretso ako sa isang safe house. Doon ako pinahirapan. Actually, ilang araw na lang, paalis na ako doon sa apartment na yun. E talagang siguro kaloob na lang just na mahuli ako nun. <laughs> Kung looking back, ganun talaga ako. Masaya ako umabot ng 64. Mulas na mahuli ako ng 22 years old. In the six years he spent incarcerated, Jovito's captors transferred him from prison to prison, never giving him a chance to settle. Yung unang dalawang buwan, nandun lang kami sa opisina ng Special Operations Group. Pinapain ako kasi meron pa mga hinuhuli mga kasamahan namin na later on, nung December, nahuli na rin nun, sa Bandan Laguna, yung iba. Fifteen kaming nadampot ng kadena yon Pagka dampot sa akin, tumigil yung damputan kasi wala na rin naman akong naibigay sa kanil ng mga tao. Tapos, 81, krami kami isang taon. Ayun, magulo yun, yung krami na yun. Kasi nagno-noise barrage kami doon, naalisan kami ng dalaw. <laughs> Hanggang sa nang bandang huli, galit na galit yung warden. Sabi, magpalipat na kayo sa bikutan kasi mamamatay lang kayo rito. <laughs> talagang binalaan na kami. Kasi meron talagang mga pinapatay doon na detainee, dinudukot nila. Tapos di, following day, makita mo, lumulutang na lang sa Manila Bay. Bikutan ang pinakamatagal. Nagkaroon din kami ng one week sa Quezon City Jail kasi nanggulo kami sa isang hearing namin. Nangagaw kami ng mikropono tapos nagsisigaw uh, kami ng, ng kung ano-ano. So, nakaranas kami ng ganun, nag-tour kami. If this will be upsetting to you, skip forward by about a minute and a half. Ang ginawa nila sa akin, hinubaran ako, talagang lahat ng damit ko, tanggal, tapos hinawakan akong pilit, pinahiga sa isang center table ng hotel, tinalian ng toalya yung mukha ko, tapos binubuhusan yung water treatment. Noong una, pumapalag ako. Kasi mahirap eh, hindi ka makahinga. Pero naisip-isip ko, baka, ta- baka talagang tutuluyan ako, hindi na ako lumaban, hindi na ako nag-resist. Muntik na ako maghimatay nun. Pero makita siguro nila na parang, teka, baka matuluyan ako, eh, lagot sila sa hindi ko pa nakakaharap si Prospero Olivas nun eh. General Prospero Olivas was then the commanding general of the Metrocom, the Metropolitan Command under the Philippine Constabulary. Patatawag yata ako. Binuhay ako. Pina, pina, pinahimasmasan. Pero yung hampas ng yellow 
pages. Kung alam niyo yung PLDT nung araw, may yellow pages eh. Ayun, talagang sa katawan, <laughs> ahampasin ka talaga nun. Baka mga ano yun, hindi lang isang 24 oras yun, ituloy-tuloy yun. Yung, alam nilang medyo para makakatulog ka, gigisingin ka na naman, oh, tatanungin ka na naman ng paulit-ulit, yun at yun din. Tapos sa uh, tatakutin yung pamilya mo, madadamay pag hindi ka nag-cooperate. Gano'n po kayo katagal na dinitin ha? October 1980, lumabas ako February 1986. Day after EDSA 1. Kaya mga 28, 28 ako lumabas eh. 22 ako na dampot. Si Ramos pa ang pumirma ng release order na si FDR. Kaya nung paglabas namin, lulan-lula kami na parang ang layo nung madampot kami dun sa senaryo na iba na ang administrasyon nang lumabas kami. Kaya culture shock sa akin. After EDSA 1, the Philippines didn't immediately recover from the economic and political instability that the Marcos regime had left behind due to its debts, overspending, and rampant corruption. The Presidential Commission on Good Government and the 1987 Constitution came out of this era to recover the Marcos's ill-gotten wealth and to limit future presidents to one six-year term each, hopefully protecting our democracy. Jovito became involved in NGOs and civil society work during this time, wanting to help establish a free and stable government. He then graduated in 1992 with a degree in industrial management, completing his education which he had put on hold during the difficult years of the Marcos administration. It's been more than 40 years since Ovito's six-year prison sentence, an experience that could have broken him physically and mentally. He had been tortured and his family's safety was threatened. But he hasn't stopped sharing his story, not even with the continuing systemic denial of history or the troubles in the Philippines today that resemble what Ovito witnessed back then from the disregard of human rights to the return of another Marcos to power. Kailangan talaga mag-ingay, kailangan talaga may magsalita. Kung hindi, pagpababayaan mo siya, mag-aabuso yan. Para mapigilan sa pang-abuso, alam niya na mga tao gising. Pagka namulat, hindi na muling pipikit, di ba? E kung hindi ka kumilos, magtitiis ka. <laughs> Ibang tao ang magpapasya para sa iyo. Masakit. Kung wala kang pakilang, swerte kong mayaman ka na hindi mo kailangang maghanap buhay. Pero papano yung mas marami? Uh, siguro, siguro yung mga, mga tinuturong aral na nga rin sa, sa pananampalataya. Dapat hindi ka nabubuhay para sa sarili lamang. There are some common misconceptions that you hear about the time of martial law. We asked both of our guests what it was like to actually be there. And what we learned is that many of the things that the Marcoses have tried to spin into positive things really are just myths. Myth number one, golden age daw. But no, it was not a time of plenty. Nilda Fulion and her family experienced the shortages firsthand. Yung nanay ko nagagalit kasi wala na kaming bigas. Tapos nagpunta siya sa palengke, wala siyang mabili. Sabi niya ganyan. Umuwi siya, sabi niya. Walang bigas na mabili, sabi niya ganyan. Sabi ko, sabi namin, bakit? Ano nangyari? Eh, wala daw bigas na 
mga tinda, wala nang sinusupply. Gobyerno na lang daw magtitinda ng bigas. Meron daw mga military trucks na pumupunta sa mga palengke. Punta siya doon, madaniya. Pagdating, ang kahapa daw ng pila. So, pagdating na sa kanya, sabi niya, wala na yung bigas. Sabi niya, ubos na daw. So, hindi siya nakabili. Ako, galit na galit yung mama ko. Pag-uwi niya. So, so yun. Ay, sabi ko, grabe naman ang pahirap sa nanay ko. Na, to the point na bumili siya ng bigas na, hindi, mais na giniling, na puti. Jovito remembers the same thing. Akala namin bigas, yung pala durog na mais. Yun ang tandang-tanda ko yun, na yung mga military truck, naka-standby, may mga sundalong, may mga armas, pinapipila lahat, kasi wala kang mabilang ng supply. Talagang kinontrol nila. Nagtataka nga ako doon, ba't wala, yung inaalala ko, ba't wala kaming mabiling bigas doon eh. Napilitan kaming pumila sa likod ng 6x6 ng military truck. At ang kulay puti, tuwan-tuwa kami, ang puti, yung pala mais. Tatatandaan ko yun eh. Mabigat sa tiyan yung mais. Maninibago ka kung, kung sanay ka sa bigas. The economy was not doing better under martial law. Our economic downturn began before Ferdinand Marcos Sr. had even won his second term in 1969. His campaign was built on $50 million worth of infrastructure projects, which depended on foreign loans. The public outcry was immediate, leading to the first quarter storm protests in 1970. Everyday Filipinos felt the impact of our economic troubles. Nung ibagsak ang batas militar, hindi pa ganong katindi ang kahirapan. No, natural lang may mahirap. Pero kung kukumpara mo doon sa 1978 na tumindi o yung 1980 na nakulong ako, palagay ko hindi pa ganun katindi yung kahirapan. Kasi kahit kaming ordinaryong pamilya, ang tatay, basta nagtatrabaho kami, kakain kami. Kaya lang maalala ko, nung ibagsak ang batas militar, alam ko may panahon na pumila kami ng pagkain. So yun, ano yung masasabing golden era? Saan nangyari yun? Mahalang bigas, walang mabili, mantiya, lahat yan, mahal. Tapos walang masakyan kasi kinontrol nila yung mga numbers of cars na pwedeng pumasada. Marami. Myth number two, the Marcos years were the height of art and culture. The flourishing of the arts and culture during this time became part of the Marcos narrative that embraced what Imelda Marcos called, quote, the true, the good, and the beautiful. The government invested in impressive infrastructure projects and cultural events because they believed it would make them look good. And to them, it was all about just looking good. Imelda was also known to have said, quote, Filipinos want beauty. I have to look beautiful so that poor Filipinos will have a star to look at from their slums, unquote. But any kind of art that did not support the Marcos narrative was censored or drew the ire of the government. The Marcoses controlled what you could see so that they could control what you would think. Kaya, yun ang kinikwento namin. Kasi talagang wala ka namang mabasa nun yun. Wala kang marinig sa TV. Ang TV, iisang palabas. Ilipat mo sa lahat ng channel, iisang kwento. Pag tinignan mo yung diary, yun din ang kwento. Talagang sanay na sanay sila kung paano i-suppress ang dissent, ang mga pagtutol. 
tatakpan nila ng magandang picture, yung kahirapan, pero yung bulsa nila puno ng yaman. Cosmetic, cosmetic lahat. The martial law era was no golden age. And this is a reality that people saw, not because it was something that someone else had told them or because they read it somewhere. It was the reality they saw beyond the grand buildings and the fancy ceremonies. The reality they lived day to day. Binabakura niya para hindi makita ng mga dayuhan at maiproject sa international community na Golden Age ang Pilipinas. Ma- maganda ang Pilipinas. Pero sa likod ng mga bakura na yun, yung talagang ang mga tao, bubuhating ka sa dami ng lamok dahil sa laula talaga yung ang buhay, miserable ang buhay ng mga tao sa baryo magsaysay. Kabataan Pinoy, please research. Mag-research po kayo sa mga legitimate news link legitimate na mga sources of information. Huwag maniwala sa mga blogs o mga bloggers na mga TikTok na pang-forma lang, pero yung substance nung ano, ay wala. Be critical. Magtanong, ito ba ito? Pag may nadinig kayo, ano ang basis kaya nito? Please be critical naman what's going on. Alamin ang kasaysayan ng bansa mo, alamin ang kasaysayan ng... Yung totoong kasaysayan. Kami yung eyewitness, kami ang uh, aktual na nakakita nung nakaranas nung pangyayari ng martial law. We know that you haven't heard our voices in this episode as much as you usually do. And that's on purpose. We have the opportunity to share these stories from people who were there and who experienced this history firsthand. Their stories should be heard and preserved. And that's exactly what Memcom is doing. The Human Rights Violations Victims Memorial Commission. There are plans to build a museum dedicated to those who fought against the Marcos regime. This is the Freedom Memorial Museum, dedicated to telling the story of martial law through artifacts and images taken during those times. The Memcom is a small office, and the Freedom Memorial Museum has faced several years of challenges and delays. But they continue to fight. Because we do have to fight. So, kailangan natin pag-ingayin, uh, supportahan yung pagtatayo nun. Kasi it's just like meron na tayong concrete na physical evidence na martial law is a tragic story. It's a horrible story. Tingin ko yun ang silbi ng Freedom Museum natin. At all costs, dapat natin ilaban ito. Kasi will be the proof Anong pinagagawa ni Diktador Marcos ng panahon ng Marshall? Hindi lang SOCMED. Ito talagang may building, physical building, may mga ebidensya doon. Our history is under attack. Disinformation on social media, propaganda on youth-specific platforms like TikTok, celebrities using their platform to spread myths about martial law. Over the next few years, we can expect a lot of erasure of the Marcos's atrocities. But the fact that the Marcoses and their followers don't like what happened doesn't mean that it didn't happen. We have the people who witnessed it, who have been legally recognized as victims and survivors of martial law, to prove it. Sinasabi ko, si Marcos, magaling mag-recruit yan. Patunay niyan ako. Nirecruit niya ako, aktivista. Ginawa niya ako, organizer. And now, we're recruiting you into this fight. 
fight misinformation, fight historical distortionism, support films, books, and podcasts, and not just this one, that work hard to bring you the truth, despite the powers and influence of the people who are working hard to hide it. Help us spread the stories of those who were there. Bawat biktima ng pang-aabuso noong panahon ng martial law, may kwento. Mabuting makinig. At makinig ng mabuti. And for those who gave their lives fighting for our freedom and our rights, those who can no longer share their stories, we invite you to honor them in a moment of silence. Class dismissed. Subscribe to WhatsApp Araling Panlipunan Rebooted on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And give us a 5-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps more people hear about the stories we share on their app. Do you know anyone who has stories of martial law they'd like to share? A relative, a teacher, or a co-worker who was there when it happened? Tag us on Twitter at History Rebooted, on Facebook.com slash History Rebooted, and on Instagram at History.Rebooted. And to learn more about another important person who was part of the fight against martial law, listen to Jovito Salonga Was a Worship Leader in Jail, an episode of the Bago Ang Lahat podcast. Jovito Salonga served in the Senate under Marcos, but was later imprisoned for opposing the regime. Bago Ang Lahat is a podcast about the lives of Filipino leaders, trailblazers, and innovators before we looked up to them. Once again, I'm Siege Dantenko, Puma Podcast. I'm on social media at Siege the Day, C-E-E-J the Day, because I think you should seize the day. And I'm Sab Schnabel, Puma Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Sabrina Schnabel, that's S-C-H-N-A-B-E-L, rhymes with fable. This episode of WhatsApp, Araling Panlipunan Rebooted, was produced by Nina Toralba and edited by Joe Salcedo. Art by Trix Casilian. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.